You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to our Jackie Robinson Day special episode here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. I'm Brett McMillan. Glad that you could join us and you are in for a treat today as we dig in for some vintage audio courtesy of the Cardinals Radio Network and our flagship station, KMOX. Appreciate them making this uh, audio available to us. And what it is, is Jackie Robinson appearing on KMOX Radio on Halloween Day, 1962. He's alongside Jack Buck. You'll recognize that voice. And they talk about a myriad of topics, from Stan the Man Musial and what Jackie Robinson thought about him to breaking into the big leagues and breaking baseball's color barrier in 1947. They speak on Branch Rickey, who, of course, was with the St. Louis Browns and Cardinals for a time before eventually going to Brooklyn and helping to bring Jackie Robinson into the National League. It's a long-form interview. It's probably content in a way that you've never heard it before with Jackie Robinson. I remember the first time that I ever heard this audio. I was an intern at KMOX Radio. Oh, not quite a not quite a decade ago, but pretty close to it. And just sitting there and listening to it in the sports office as I was helping to organize some of their classic vintage audio and thinking, man... What an amazing piece of history, and we are proud to be able to bring you that today with partnership with Camo X Radio here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. One programming note, obviously this was recorded in a different era, 1962, so quite a long time ago. You're going to note that in the aesthetics of the interview. I mean, it's the great Jack Buck who is guiding you through, but uh, just a, a different production value in 1962 compared to what you might be used to here in 2020, and uh, just a different sensibility back then as well, but certainly a unique piece of history, and as I said a moment ago, Jackie Robinson in a way that you probably have never heard him. We are talking about Jackie Robinson all day today on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash cardinals and also on the club's social media feeds. Check out some special content on all of those platforms throughout the day. Sadly, not playing Major League Baseball today, but still remembering the legacy and impact of the great Jackie Robinson here on the podcast and across Major League Baseball on this April 15th. Without further ado, here it is. It's Jackie Robinson on October 31st, 1962, appearing on Camel X Radio. Jackie, before we go any further, what do you think of Alvin Dark uh, being appointed as manager of the San Francisco Giants? He's an old buddy of yours. Well, I don't think they could have made a finer choice. I think that he will do the kind of job for him. He's certainly one of the most respected young ball—I mean, ball players in the game, not young, but one of the most respected. And I think he'll do a whale of a job for the Giants. I suppose that you fill many speaking engagements throughout the year and travel many miles. About how many, Jackie? Well, it's hard to say. Well, let's exclude this presidential race here. And I, I, I say that being with the, my company, Chock Full of Nuts, I only go out two or three times a year for them or whenever there's a, a meeting that I think I can be a service to someone would call and I go. But I don't travel too much because most of my work is right in New York. Uh, all of our stores are right around the New York area, and we are now opening our coffee. We're selling that throughout the country. But I only go whenever we open a market because I'm in charge of personnel. And I don't have to run a 
around doing public relations. Jackie Robinson, do you miss baseball at all? Not one bit. I'm very happy at Chock Full of Nuts. It's a great company, and uh, since I could no longer be an active ball player, I don't want to get into something that depends upon what someone else does for my livelihood, because uh, if, if I was to be a coach or a manager, if the fellows on the ball club didn't do a good job, I'd be out of a job. You never want to be a major league manager. I have no desires whatsoever to get back in baseball in any capacity. Traveling around the country and being in the job as you are, have you found improvements in attitudes of people toward one another, oh, particularly your race? There's no question about it. There have been great m progress made. Well, let's take when we first came here into St. Louis. There were many problems here, no question about it, but after a couple of years in this area, the only thing people wanted was that, well, I played baseball to the best of my ability, and I'm sure with Bill White and the other color fellows on the ball club now, the St. Louis fans go out, and if Bill White hits the home runs and wins a ball game for the St. Louis Cardinals, that's all they want. And I certainly uh, give a lot of credit to Harry Carey for the job that he did. This is one thing I've always be appreciative of because Harry always presented baseball as it was and uh, he gave me credit when I did something good and he gave me the devil when I did something bad. And I think this is what should be done. This is all that we ever asked for is that they, they reported what was going on on the field. We could depend upon Harry for doing that. And Harry always did it in a nice quiet manner. Too, Not nice it? and quiet. <laughs> I've, never, I, I've never seen anybody rooted so hard. Maybe, Harry, maybe uh, Bob Prince at Pittsburgh uh, he roots hard for <laughs> Pittsburgh, but I've never seen anybody root any harder for their, their ball club than Harry did for his. Uh -huh. Jackie, as you look back, what was the first year that you broke into the major leagues? I came to the Dodgers in 1947, uh -huh. and uh, it was a wonderful year. Are you uh, happy now that you were the first Negro to play major league baseball? Well, it, there were advantages. I don't know whether you can say I was happy. I, I wish that it hadn't have been that way. I would have loved to have come in when I was 20 years of age instead of when I was 27 because it's your first five, six years that you get your experience and the, the, the knowledge. And when I was 27, this is, should have been the year that I was in my peak in the major leagues. But I was, at that time, just trying to learn a lot of things about baseball. And I didn't really reach my peak until I was probably uh, 31. I mean, as far as knowing all about baseball was concerned. A lot of ball clubs in the league were happy about that too. You were tough <laughs> enough as you were. <laughs> Jackie, what problems did you encounter being the first of your race to enter organized baseball? Well, there were all kinds of problems. Uh, problems with spectators, problems with ball players, but uh, it didn't take long to overcome it because we were playing with a pretty good ball club. Uh, we won the pennant in 47. We had on our ball club a guy by the name of Pee Wee Reese, the captain of our ball club, that let everybody know that the only thing the fellows on the Brooklyn Baseball Club were interested in, as far as Jackie Robinson was concerned, hit the ball well, Jack, and run and steal bases, help the Dodgers win, and this is all that we're going to ask, and we'll help you in every way that we can. They did, and I've been a appreciative because I don't know whether it would have been this way had I been playing with someone uh, other than the Reese's and the Rickies and, and the Hodges and, and, and fellows like that who were really interested in what was going on. It seems peculiar, Jackie, that it'd take a little guy like Pee Wee Reese from Louisville, Kentucky to come to the fore. Well, he's a real man. That's all you can say. Every time uh, something came up, I remember the first time in Boston that we played together as a double play combination. We walked out onto the field, and there was considerable uh, uh, jockeying from the Boston bench. There wasn't anything vicious about it, but we heard all kinds of remarks about Pee Wee being from the South and whether or not we were going out together after the, the game was over. Things that would irritate other Southerners, you know, uh, because they had never had the opportunity of playing and or working with Negroes, and there were all kind of bugaboos going on, that the Negro was different in some kind of way. So Reese listened to it for a minute or so, and he didn't even look into the dugout, walked over to my position and put his hand on my shoulder, said something in my ear, and immediately 
all of the noise stopped. He was saying to them without going through any kind of words, but his actions indicated that the only thing that he was asking was that Jackie Robinson continue to play baseball in the best manner that he could. And I think that if more of us would take this attitude, you know, we talk too much about what we are going to do as far as equal opportunities are concerned, and we don't act enough. During Brotherhood Week, you hear all these different committees doing a great job working for Brotherhood during this one particular week, and after the 50, uh, and the, during the other 51 weeks, they fall right back in the same vein, and I, and, and, and I like the way Reese worked. He just asked that you do the best you can do as far as your own billies are concerned. I imagine you have Mr. Branch Rickey to thank for introducing you to the major leagues. Well, I think had it not been for a man like <coughs> Rickey, it could not have been a success. I remember up in Montreal, when we were running into a number of problems, I would get a call from Mr. Rickey warning me to be on the alert. This particular thing was going to happen or that was going to happen. And if, it's, if it does happen, we would like for you to handle it in this particular manner. And I was amazed at the number of things that he called me about that actually came about. And so I was able, in most instances, to be uh, a little bit ahead of the game. So I have Mr. Rank Ricky to thank, certainly, for bringing me in. But I have him to thank for being such a wonderful man with keen foresight and ability to translate it from himself over to me. And I was very proud of working with him. And now at nine minutes past the hour of four o'clock, we'd allow, would like to allow you folks to participate in the program by calling Mission 75504 and asking questions of Jackie Robinson. And I think uh, we would prefer that rather than remaining in a sports vein, most folks are familiar with the uh, cause that Jackie Robinson champions for. And uh, we would like to deal with race relations. You know, we've discussed it in the past on this program. And Mr. Robinson is at your disposal now, Mission 75504, the number. That I would say, uh, Jackie, in addition to making a living with Chalk Full of Nuts, is your big chore in life these days for better understanding and so forth? Oh, no question about it. Uh, but there has been a great deal of progress made. Uh, there have been some people here in St. Louis that I knew uh, that have really done a great job. And, and you can just look at the great progress that's been made here in this area to know that if it can happen in areas like this, it can happen any place. So we get in and we do the best job we possibly can. Jack, we have a question here. Jack, if you just use those earphones there, you can hear the caller. All right. Hello, your name, please? Uh, I'm Martin Hendon. And your question? I would like to know um, what Jackie Robinson thought of Stan Seal the first time he played against him. It's a very good question, and thank you for calling KMOX. You're welcome. Well, the only thing I can say is that Stan Musial, every time we played against him, especially in the early years, seemed to hit 600 against us and catch 9,000 and do everything <laughs> else. And... We didn't particularly like the way Stan Musial hurt us over there in Brooklyn. He was the one man in the early years that hurt us more than anybody we know. As a matter of fact, uh, Stan Musial was more popular in Brooklyn than practically anybody in the Brooklyn Baseball Club because he was such a dangerous man. A great ball player, a very fine fellow. Everybody in baseball that knew Stan liked him very much. He always hit very well in Brooklyn, too, didn't he? Oh, hit the man wore us out. <laughs> Jackie, would you say that baseball and... Uh the including of Negro ball players on Major League rosters has done as much as anything to improve race relations in this country. Oh, yes, but I think the, the credit ought to go to the people in the stands, you know, because, as I pointed out earlier, the only thing they want is that, the, that their ball players go out and win for their particular city. They have tremendous pride in the fact that the St. Louis Cardinals are representing St. Louis, and if they can win, the fans are the ones that get the biggest kick out of it. So, therefore, I think it's the, it's the fans that have been as much responsible for it as anything else. They have really accepted this particular thing, and I think people seeing the way baseball has done, the job that it has done, they feel it can be done in other areas also. Hello, would you care to give your name? 
Beverly Holloman. And your question? I would like to know how does Jackie feel about the sittings that are being held in the strongly southern states? All right, let's find out from him. Thank you for calling KMOX. How I, how I feel about the sit-ins. Mm -hmm. Well, every time I read about these youngsters, my chest jumps out about four or five feet. These kids are doing a fantastic job. I'm proud of the job they're doing. I want to help them any way they possibly can because the job that they've done since February has, is more, in to, as far as race relations are concerned, is, is better than many of the things that have, done in all of the, have been done in all the years in the past. I, I, as an individual, sanction them. I support them. I'll do anything I can to encourage the kids to continue because it's a little difficult for adults to look at youngsters who are well-dressed, well-mannered, who know what they want, and to create the kinds of disturbances that perhaps we'd run into if they were adults. I'm proud of our kids, and I congratulate them. I think they've been not only a credit to the Negro, but I think they've been a tremendous credit to America because, let's face it, this world is made up of four-fifths colored people. And whenever events like the sit-ins come about, whenever we solve the problems like we have in just a short time ago, the Attorney General announced that over 112 cities uh, had announced there'd be no more discrimination in these areas where the sit-ins were involved. So I say that they made a great contribution to our country because what happens here is going to be it's going to determine whether or not we win or lose the new emerging Af nations in Africa and also the uh, colored nations throughout the world. So they are deserving, in my opinion, of a great deal of applause. Yankees, did you say four-fifths of the world's population is made up of colored people? Well, that's correct, four-fifths. I used to say two-thirds, but I was corrected and said that it's four-fifths now and uh, this, this thing should be taken into consideration. And when we have a man like Khrushchev coming into America, pointing his finger and telling us we have no right to be critical of Russia or any other country when we have a problem like we have in this country. And the thing that I'm so proud about is that uh, Mr. Nixon uh, went down south and spoke about this thing and pointed his finger at Khrushchev and says that we cannot afford to allow a man like this to point his finger at us. We must eliminate the cause. And the cause is, in this country, the discrimination practices that we face day in and day out. Well, this certainly is a unique time in baseball history and in world history, for that matter. And the Cardinals would really like to thank medical professionals and first responders on the front lines fighting the spread of COVID-19. We appreciate your efforts. And all of us want to do our part to help flatten the curve, too. That's why we've created cardinals.com support, a resource to give support, get support, and learn about what you can do to make a difference in this fight. Again, that's cardinals.com support. We're all in this together. And now we head back to our classic audio podcast, Jackie Robinson on KMOX. And your question? What was uh, the toughest pitcher, or one of the tough, uh, one of the toughest pitchers that he came up against during his uh, baseball career? Well, that's one out from Jackie, and thank you for calling KMOX. We're uh, back to baseball again, and uh, the party wanted to know the toughest pitcher, or one of the toughest pitchers you came up against in your baseball career. Well, there was a right-hander over in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, by the name of Yule Blackwell. And you'll remember mm -hmm. Yule. Uh, Yule was a man that looked to a right-hander like he was falling out of a tree. I see Harry's laughing. He remembers these right-handers <laughs> didn't want to stay in the batter's box when Yule Blackwell threw. He not only threw from almost at third base, but he was quick. He had a good curveball. And actually, we were kind of afraid to hit against him. So I nominate Yule Blackwell as the toughest pitcher I've had to face. Some others that you can name, Jackie? Well, then I would go over and have to go to the American League and pick Dallas pick Allie Reynolds. I remember a World Series game we played against that fellow 
course, I don't know, with me, it looked like he was throwing a pee at me. I didn't swing at the bat, I think, three times that I went up there. He threw such small balls that I thought there was something wrong with it. So I go from Allie Reynolds to, um, I mean, from Ewell Blackwell to Allie Reynolds, and I could name a host of very tough pictures, but uh, I would be excluding certainly a lot of them that have been good. I think it depended, and uh, we can talk to people in sports on how well you are hitting at the time when you're facing. If Ewell was throwing hard and I was hitting well, it wouldn't make a great deal of difference. We would hit him, but if we were in some kind of slump, it wouldn't make any difference who was throwing. Those good pictures kept your lifetime average down to 341. No, no, not me. I'm way below that. I'm down to 310. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> your question? I would like to uh, ask Mr. Robinson if he's seen our redevelopment area down on Market Street and uh, ask him what he thinks of this. I'm very proud of our city because of this. Well, let's find out how Jackie feels about it, and thank you for calling KMOX. Thank you. Have you noticed any of our redevelopment area here, Jackie? She wants to I know how you feel about it. I haven't been into St. Louis for any length of time since I was here in 1956. I have not seen the redevelopment area here in St. Louis, but I've seen it in other cities, and I, I think this is the finest thing that happened because this is where you have your problems, where you have your slums, and you have people who don't want to go home because of the, of the housing conditions that they they're living under. These cause all kinds of problems as far as delinquency are concerned. And I believe that if you clear up in slum areas like she is talking about here in St. Louis, give peace people decent places to live, instead of being out in the street converting, they will be home with their parents and you'll have less and less uh, uh, delinquency if you give them decent housing, you give them decent accommodation, decent places to play, and you give them something to look forward to, some kind of encouragement. So I think that in every area where we have slum clearance or you have redevelopment products, uh, projects, every person in St. Louis and any other city ought to be proud of them. Hope you are enjoying this vintage audio podcast of Jackie Robinson on KMOX. We want to just pause and take a moment to thank On The Run. They've been a great partner in supporting Jackie Robinson Day, and we appreciate their commitment to highlighting the character and values that make Jackie's legacy so special to all of us. For updates from On The Run, you can check out their website, ontherunstl.com. Back at it, Jackie Robinson on KMOX, and you're hearing it here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Hello, your name, please? Uh, Lada Lockhart. And your question? I wanted to ask uh, Mr. Robinson, do he uh, believe that uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King was locked up on the kind of running the stop sign, or was he locked up because of the fight that he put on for the Negro race? Let's find out from Jackie, and thank you for calling KMOX. Well, Miss Lockhart, there can be no question in my mind that uh, a man would not be sentenced to four months in jail because he didn't have a Georgia license. In my opinion, they're trying to stop Dr. Martin Luther King, a man that who has suffered so much for the good of his people. And I, for one, admire him for the tremendous job that he's done, and I think that the people throughout the world admire Dr. Martin Luther King for the job that he's done also. Now, in my opinion, it was done for other reasons, and as a matter of fact, it could be, well, I won't go into politics again either, but they're making a martyr of this man, and uh, I think he, Dr. Martin Luther King is deserving of this. He's a tremendously fine man, one that I'm very proud to know. Hello, would you care to give your name? This is Wayne. And your question? Uh, what I'd like to ask Jackie is this. Uh, I've heard a great deal of pro and con about uh, the Little League not being good for children. And uh, my son manages uh, one of the little league teams, and he personally puts in every single one of his players in every game that the children play. 
Now, I'd like to ask Jackie, does he think the Little League is bad for the young boys or not? It's a very good question, and thank you for calling, Camoway. Is Mrs. Walsh with mm-hmm. Mrs. Walsh, I say this. My boy just finished playing Little League Baseball, and if he was nine years old and starting to play again, I would encourage him because just as your son teaches the kids that it's so important to be on a, a baseball team to get a chance to play, learn at this very early age how to lose, I think this is, has been a tremendous help to my boy. And I say, and with all sincerity, that if I had it to do all over again, I would still have my kid go through with it because it depends upon the the kind of coaching that we get. I think it's harmful when the coaches insist that day in and day out you have to win. I think it's wrong when parents will say to children, unless you get a hit this time, you don't get your dessert tonight, or if you hit a home run, I'll buy you a bicycle or that kind of thing. This is where they are hurt. Not for because the kids are participating, but because some of our parents don't realize that they're the ones that are hurting kids more than the, than the fact that they're playing Little League Baseball. Now, I say that it depends upon the adults as to whether or not Little League Baseball is harmful for the kids or not. And I say that it can be a very fine asset to these youngsters, learning how to lose at 10, 11, 12 years of age. They're going to run into many more problems later on in life that Little League Baseball will help them overcome. How is young Robinson? Pretty good ball player? Well, he looks like he can do a good job. He, Mr. Ricky says that what you need is to be able to throw, run, and hit with power, and he's, he's able to do all of those things. Whether or not he can go as far in the major leagues, another thing, because there are so many youngsters around with the same kind of ability, and it's going to take a lot, a lot of luck for him to, to make it in baseball, just like it will be for any other person that wants to make it. Jackie, don't you feel that with the addition of four new major league teams, it's going to give many members of your race an opportunity, too, to play? Not only my race, it's going to give opportunities to all kids here in this country because I think this thing is going to level off. Uh, only 10% of the kids that are going to go into the major leagues will be Negroes, depending upon the size of the population. Uh, I don't think race is going to have anything to do with it, frankly. I think it's going to depend upon ability, and thank goodness our country is going in that direction. Ability is what counts day in and day out, and I'm proud to see the kind of progress that we're making. Hello, would you care to give your name? I'd rather not. <coughs> All right, your question. I'd like to ask Mr. Robinson uh, how the Negro race in general and what is uh, being applied to them being a little bit more tolerant. After all, it is a difficult problem for both races, and, if, and we have to accept, we have to integrate with them. I think that the strain is more on us than on the Negro race, and I'd like to know how, what is being taught, or how the Negro is being tolerant to this. Let's find out from Jackie, and thank you for calling, Kim. See, I, I don't really understand what she what she wants here. Now she wants she, she wants to know it, it, it doesn't intolerance come from the Negro race too, not only from uh, white folks, but from the Negroes too. Are they intolerant of white people? Well, I don't think so, frankly. All I think that we Negroes are after is equal opportunities. And when I think she hinted something about that we have to be a bit more patient, uh, that the the things are going to work themselves out. To me, this is what she says. We have to understand that they, too, have a problem here. And we have to understand that they have to uh, readjust their own lives. And and the Negro has to be patient as far as uh, getting into schools and to uh, getting to equal opportunities. And I, I just like to say to her that it seems to me that 
oh, I guess it's almost 100 years since the Emancipation Proclamation, and there have been so many promises. And when I was out passing in California, I used to be told when I was going out to use the swimming pool that, you know, just be a little bit more tolerant, be patient. The day will come when Negroes can use the swimming pool out there more than once a week. Or when I went down to the YMCA and was told that Negroes can use these facilities one night a week, but you just be patient, be tolerant. That day will come when Negroes can use facilities in the same basis as the white person. Uh, this was almost 30 years ago, and very frankly, I think the Negro has become a bit tired of, of being patient about these things. We only look for what is guaranteed every American citizen according to the Constitution of the United States. We're not asking, we're not asking for any special treatments. We know very well that this is a problem, and when the Supreme Court's decision was announced in 1954, it was the NAACP who first made the announcement that we recognize that this is a tremendous problem, and we only hope that people in different areas where they do have these problems would make a start, and we are perfectly willing to have this thing work out. But there's been so little done since 1954 that the Negro has to worry about what's going to happen to his kids. Yes, we understand your problem and we appreciate it, but I just hope that you will understand our problem and appreciate it. We too have children and we know that whenever they go to a segregated school, whether the facilities are as good as the integrated schools, there is a barrier there and it makes our kids feel that perhaps they are not as good as the others and I don't think it's fair that this thing continues. But we do understand the problem, but only thing we hope is that all Negroes and all white Americans who are tremendously interested in their country know and understand that this is a problem for both people, but we've got to work together to eliminate it. Hello, your name please? Uh, Joe Tallow. Your question? Well, I'd like to ask Jack, Jackie Robinson on discrimination. Now, if the colored people expect to end discrimination and they expect us to help them, how can they expect us when they place so much distrust in us? They carry guns and knives and uh, they scare the white people have to death. Let's find out how he feels about this, and thank well, you for calling. All right. Sir, I'm sorry. We already cut off the air, so thank you for calling. Go ahead, Jackie, on, with regard to carrying weapons. Well, uh, this to me is something that continues to crop up. And I say to this gentleman that if he is truly sincere about what he's saying, observe the great numbers of young white, young Negro kids that are doing a fantastic job in this country, and I don't think it's fair. Even if there were one million Negroes carrying knives and guns like he say, he's, I believe, exaggerating somewhat, but even if there were one million, I don't think the other 18 million Negroes should be judged by what um, the other uh, one million are doing. I, uh, you know, I just read in the newspaper a short time ago about the, they just captured a man that killed uh, Coors or whatever his name out in, in Utah, wherever the area right. was. Uh, I read about the white person who bombed an airplane and killed a great number of people. Day in and day out, I read in the papers about white people that are committing crimes, white people that are carrying guns. There are good and bad in every race, and it's unfair for you or anybody else to condemn a whole race because one, two, or a million of them are doing something wrong. We must look at the individual here in this country. We, we in America, are a race that we look at indi the individual achievement, or we're supposed to. And until the persons in this country 
do recognize that there are good, there are bad in each and every race, uh, we can't expect too much progress. So I say to you, sir, that even though there may be Negroes carrying guns, uh, you know, sometimes I get scared too and I see white people too. You know, it isn't, it isn't a matter of skin coloring. I, I think it depends on the individual. So you can't just say that Negroes carry knives and, and, and guns and things like that. Uh, you have as, you go and look at jail. I just was on the parole board and uh, I had white people from Connecticut who came before me to get out too, just as there were Negroes. So you can't blame it all on the Negro. Jackie, uh, Jackie Robinson, as busy as you are, we don't feel badly about imposing on your time because I know you never did have any trouble getting from one base to another. <laughs> no, not at all, Jack. And thank you very much for your visit here this afternoon. Well, it's a pleasure, and I want to say to your, your audience, I appreciate the kinds of questions that they sent in. You must have an interesting two-hour session here. Is this a daily thing? Yes, it is. One hour of the uh, each day we give over to something of this sort. We cover every phase of living and life, and we have a lot of fun on the program. Oh, I'm sure you do, and I appreciate your giving me the time to be on, and I hope that your listeners understand my feelings on this thing. You know, I was told a short time ago that uh, uh, I, I have no right to protest about what's going on here. They pointed out the fact that Jackie Robinson, Negro, has been given a job at, uh, in baseball by the white man, a job at Chock Full of Nuts by the white man, a job that millions of Caucasians are envious of. Uh, I sat down and answered this letter but, but just by saying that it's true that I've been very fortunate here in this country, and there's no question about the advantages I have. But you know, as an American Negro, and people implying that I have made, I can say to everyone here in St. Louis that I don't know of one Negro here in this country that hasn't made until the most underprivileged Negro in this country has it made. Therefore, we must protest until all phases, phases, phases of discrimination are eliminated here in this country. You're no longer worried about Jackie Robinson? No longer worried, but I have three children going up that might not be as lucky as I've been. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Tonight, Jackie Robinson will speak at a meeting at the Hughes Quinn Junior High School, 7 o'clock, 10th and Broadway in East St. Louis. Jackie Robinson, our guest on the sounding board this afternoon. I told you, didn't I? Jackie Robinson in a way that I bet you've never heard him before. You heard it here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Unique baseball history, that truly is a word that can get overused sometimes, unique but I think that it's the perfect way to classify what we've just heard. Jack Buck and Jackie Robinson talking baseball, talking life here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. We appreciate you joining us for this special episode today. A reminder that we do this every week during the baseball season, and we intend to do that when baseball restarts, whenever that might be. You simply will want to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you listen. I believe we're in the Google Play Store. I mean, anywhere that you get your podcast, you can check out the Cardinals Insider Podcast. We also have a playlist on YouTube. You can head over there, check that out, see our Jackie Robinson Day content on social media and on YouTube as well. We'll continue to do these episodes sporadically while we're all staying at home and teleworking. But for now, we say goodbye. We hope that you have a great rest of your April 15th, that you enjoy your Jackie Robinson Day. It's been a pleasure to be with you. My name is Brett McMillan. This has been the Cardinals Insider Podcast.